0: Hi, I'm Dan Halliday, and I'm a philosopher at Melbourne Uni.
1: And I'm Christian Barry, a philosopher at the Australian National University.
0: Dialogs is a philosophy podcast with a bit of a difference.
2: My case is a bit unusual.
0: We actually get members of the public...
3: I would really like to see Australians give a fair go.
0: ..to help us do the philosophy.
4: We were on the housing wait list for nearly four years. I wouldn't
3: have anything, so I don't know. Yeah, I'm not really sure how... Oh, that's really hard. ..where you draw the line, where you say, like, that's not OK, but that is...
1: This podcast is about immigration, which is a big topic in Australia and in many countries. It's also a big topic here because all of us are actually immigrants. Mm-hmm. Should we be encouraging large-scale immigration? And if we don't, what kinds of reasons can we give to accept certain people into society and exclude others? Today we're joined by Luara Frazioli.
4: Hi, Christian. Hi, Dan.
0: Hi, Luara. Good to have you on board today. Um, let's start by asking a few people about where their families come from and what they think about Australia's current migration laws.
5: Hi, I'm Tessa, and I'm 18 years old. My parents came from Hong Kong and Malaysia, so I'm the first generation in Australia. Yeah, first generation. (laughs) How can you judge someone um, by whether they're safe to come into the borders or if they're actually going to be, like, a terrorist and, like... um, be dangerous to society in Australia. It's terrible to hear about like these families having to go to all these like refugee camps, living under such terrible like lifestyles, just waiting, maybe not even being given the chance to come
3: and live in Australia. Hi, I'm Sophia. I'm 17 years old. You know, generations back, my family were migrants. They were, you know, white migrants. We, I think, originated from England or Scotland or one of those countries that came to Australia, and apart from the Indigenous Australians, everyone in Australia is a migrant, so therefore none of us are in a position to say, well, these certain migrants can't come and settle in Australia because, um, you know, that's sort of saying that we're better than them in some way, which we're not. And I think that that has influenced my opinion on how many migrants we should take in. I think that we do have a responsibility to Um, let immigrants come into our country because we've seen that, um, you know, in the last couple of decades, we've seen that migrants have been so beneficial to our culture.
1: So one of the things that Sophia said that was kind of interesting was the idea that certain countries like Australia are historically countries of immigration, Mm. um, that many people are either first or just second generation Mm -hmm. citizens of Australia. Does the fact that a country is a country of immigration place special requirements on it, and does the idea that we should restrict migration, does it express a kind of chauvinistic attitude toward those who would like to join the community who are not yet members?
4: I don't think so, because I think when uh, immigrants arrive in a society and, and they become citizens, they become members of that political community, of that state, and then it's fair enough that they want to have a say over what kind of political future to bring about. And immigration has all sorts of effects on public housing, services, uh, education. So it's important that people make decisions in, their, in the area of immigration, even though they might have been migrants themselves or second, third generation. Uh, the question really is what kind of decisions they should make. And even though they have a right to make decisions in the area of immigration, they should make sure that their decisions conform with the demands of morality. So they should take seriously the interests of other people Especially refugees in uh, joining them as new members of that state.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, in a way, the question is at risk of being oversimplified as being formulated as what well between you know an absolute right to exclude everyone who wants to come in and and you know, what philosophers call open borders. You know, anyone who wants to come in can. I mean, the more the more plausible view for a country like Australia is probably something in between. Right, there's some limited right of Australia to exclude migrants and and the deep the, the the big question is well what sort of criteria and how demanding can these
1: criteria be yeah so one of the things that Tessa brought up was the idea that um you know there are real difficulties in even applying something like public safety as a criterion for deciding who to admit or not to admit but there are broader questions as well should Familiarity with the language be mm. as an acceptable criteria? Should the health status of people be a criteria? Mm. And of course, in countries like Australia, have often had policies like the White Australia mm. policy. Um, is that a legitimate expression of the citizens of the country determining the political future? How do we actually establish these limits?
4: I think for a liberal society like Australia, things like uh, race and ethnicity won't uh, be legitimate criteria because they depart too much from our liberal aims. There's just no liberal justification for a society to exclude on the grounds of race and ethnicity. Um, But I think it's fair enough for a society to privilege some skills, to have a very generous refugee uh, or humanitarian scheme and to also allow people to be reunited with their family members.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I want to draw attention to a, a distinction, I mean, we we've, we often just talk about um, people crossing the border, entering the territory and the ethics of that, and you know, what kind of right of exclusion Australia or a state might have. There's this further question, though, of well, what should migrants be, what can you ask of migrants once they're in the territory? I mean, sometimes gets phrased in terms of assimilation or, or integration. Um, now, what what can we ask of migrants, and what can migrants ask of a society by way of accommodating them? Let's. I think we should ask some people about this.
5: Hi, I'm Tessa. I think Australia is already such a um, multicultural um, sort of society that we are definitely more accepting to multiple cultures than other places like America. I have noticed, um, especially in growing, like living in Melbourne, we there's so many different like foods I can try um, and different people I can meet um, and I think just if people can bring their best aspects of their culture and then like spread it through Australia I think that would be, that's amazing for our society.
2: Hi I'm Matthew, I'm 20 years old. I talked about this in year 11 English language we all were asked what we thought Australian values were or what it meant to be Australian and the other people in the class are pretty positive but I kind of found it to be pretty negative. I thought Australian values is sometimes kind of racist and the whole tall poppy syndrome where everyone has to be the same no matter what, I'm not a fan of that either. So I think values being changed, it could be a good thing.
4: Yes, I I guess I would be less critical than Matthew about Australian values. I mean, I don't think they are Australian values, I think they're just liberal values. Things like equality, fairness, Mm -hmm. these are things we should aspire towards. It doesn't mean we always realise them in practice, but it's not a bad thing that we are trying to realise an egalitarian ethos and and a liberal egalitarian ethos. And um, Mm -hmm. I think it's fair enough for us to expect immigrants to arrive and take those values seriously. But it's not because they're Australian values, it's just because they're good values.
0: I'd, I'd say something else, though. I mean... About Australia versus the USA, you know, if you show up in the USA as a migrant, you, you see the American flag, right, and you, and I guess you're told you've got to, you know, absorb American values now and, and do things the way we do. You show up in Australia and you see the flag and it's got this British thing in the corner and you see the Queen on the money and here and there, and you're told you've got to adopt Australian values. And it's a little bit of a confusing message, I think, to people from, you know, say, say Hong Kong or Malaysia to, to be sort of faced with this. If you want migrants to, to come and assimilate, um, what face you present to them, I think, is, is quite important.
1: This idea of assimilation is kind of an interesting one, right? Because you know, when we talk concretely about what this might mean, often what happens is that people don't come in as sort of citizens. They can yeah. come in as, you know, prospective citizens. They can come in as permanent residents. Uh, and then the question is, what must they now do, given that they're here, to sort of show that they've inculcated enough of the society that they can be permanent members in full standing. Um, So what do you think about issues like language tests and and to what Mm -hmm. extent should we sort of expect people to be proficient in certain kind of ways to be citizens in full Mm -hmm. in a country like Australia?
4: Well, I understand citizenship as the kind of... Very robust protection of important legal rights. And so I don't think that the provision of citizenship should be conditional on any kind of activity or uh, um, excellence in, in some domain. So I, obviously, I think you should be a law abiding individual in order to become a citizen. But I'm very nervous about the idea that you should, you know have a certain level of fluency in the language or that you should know some facts about the past in order to to become a citizen
0: that's interesting i mean what if you don't want it right i mean one possibility you know one consequence of citizenship test if you don't want the citizenship you don't have to take the test you can just stay as a permanent resident or a visa holder or, or, or whatnot and people have all sorts of reasons maybe for hanging on to their other citizenship and you know that so i think i think um one advantage of a test is it gives people that choice you know, you, you can stay here and obey the law and, and we'll let you stay, uh, or you can sort of go all in.
4: Yes, but you don't need the test, right? You, ju- you can just give people an option. After some years of residency, mm. you can become a citizen okay. if you have, say, obey the law and have been a de facto member of that society. I think all that matters here is social membership. If you're a member in the society, you are um, advancing your life plans there, mm. then you should, uh, so long as mm. you are... Not uh, breaking laws and um, failing to do your bit, then you should you should become a citizen.
0: Yeah, maybe uh, maybe that's right. We we should go back though to the fact that not everyone gets not everyone gets in, do they?
1: Yeah. So far, we've been talking about whether or not states sort of have this right to exclude, and even assuming that they have a right to exclude, yeah. are there limits on how they can exercise this right? So obviously, one of the big issues that's arising here is the use of detention centers, which yeah. are sort of seen as a way of disincentivising people from trying to arrive in Australia in the first place. Yeah, let's hear from some people about this.
3: Hi, I'm Sophia. I feel quite strongly against the detention centres. I think it's a really cruel cruel thing that we're doing. Um, And, you know, like, once again, who are we to say that they don't have the right to come here but we did so many years ago? They're no no different to us, except that they probably aren't going to, you know, wipe out almost a whole culture of people like we did. You know, it's it's difficult for me to understand why people would be against sort of developing just smaller houses um, so that people could come and live comfortably and safely and, you know, we're so I think we're so used to um, living in these huge houses with big backyards and we forget that it's not really a necessity we can have parks which can substitute our backyards and we can build up so that, rather than out so that we have lots more houses and you know, so the whole argument that we don't have room is such a, um, such a myth <laughs> and, in my opinion, quite false, because we should be bringing them here.
2: Hi, I'm Matthew. I think, as a nation, as any country around the world, is entitled to do what they want in their country, including allowing who they let in. Not that I agree that it's OK to stop people from coming in, but I think they're entitled to be able to do that. How I feel about the detention centres, I think they're a very bad thing because they treat some people very badly. Although, I get the feeling that they stop migrants from coming to Australia in smuggling operations, which is kind of a positive thing, but I hate to say that because the detention centres are so bad. So, certainly most of the information I hear from my media, the media that I listen to, say that the detention centres are absolutely bad, so I'm inclined to believe that.
0: Yes, yeah, so I think both Sophia and Matthew have, have, have in effect emphasised that the right to exclude is one thing. The right to detain the people that you exclude on some, you know, in some location, uh, in, in really unpleasant conditions is is something else. And one thing I'd like to, I suppose, add to that is that these detention centres, they're, they're located in very remote places. It's very hard for um, outsiders to get a sense of what go- what's going on. And what we do know, we know really just because people working in the organisations employed to detain people are, are, are reporting back. Now, you said earlier, Luara, that Australian values are liberal values. I don't think these kinds of practices are really compatible with those values, right? I mean, they they sound more like the sort of things that like totalitarian states would do, detaining people without any public view.
4: Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it doesn't mean that uh, detention centres are wrong in principle, right? We could have detention centres that are located here in yeah. Australia, yeah. where the media can have access to them, and uh, we could have very strict conditions on how long people should be allowed to stay, etc. So it's very problematic for people to be there on you know, uh, for a long period of time without any um, sense of when um, they'll be able to move on with their lives. Indeed. And As you say, sometimes it's not even clear that their basic rights are being mm. uh, respected.
1: Yeah, so one of the... Points that sort of came up that Sophia raised was the idea that you know there is this greater capacity to accept more mm-hmm. migrants and as- accept more refugees. You know if we change or alter the way in which we sort of view uh, an appropriate living space and you know how much how much we need to move around. So you know there's one question about whether or not that's sort of a desirable thing for society to to pursue but is it required of a society? Mm. Is, there, is there something wrong as such with wanting to maintain mm. a society yeah. in which people have open spaces and large homes? And-
4: yes, so, I mean, some people uh, could be assisted in their own country of citizenship, right? So we could do a much better job with our foreign aid, and we could uh, make it the case that not everyone who is struggling to have their human rights protected finds themsel- find themselves in a situation where they need to immigrate. But in some cases, you do need to immigrate in order to lead a minimally decent life. And it's extremely problematic for us to not make some sacrifices as members of, say, an affluent so- society like Australia in order to take them in and uh, make it the case that they can also lead uh, good lives.
0: Yeah, and I think, I think relatedly, this idea of a disincentive, I mean, the the official line or part of the official line on detention is that, look, we've got a. Um, send a signal that look you're not going to get it, get in here and but how how confident can we be that that this signal really works in the way that that, that it's intended to work
1: yeah well i suppose the evidence is that it, it actually does make a significant difference on the number of boats trying to reach yeah. australia in that sense one of the ways in which people defend it is that it is mm. it is a feasible solution and we don't have alternative feasible solutions that would at once sort of protect migrants and
0: I think one one thing i'd like lo- that I think we can emphasize here is to to go back go back to the bigger picture. One thing we said at the start is that we're we're all migrants right we're we're all born outside Australia and now we live here, but we're all pretty privileged migrants right no one had you know no one pulled a gun on us and and persecuted us, and we weren't trying to get away from a war or a famine. Large number of migrants are and I think it it's worth remembering that the, there's the question of you know should we let migrants in and should they how should they assimilate? There's also the question of why are people trying to migrate in the first place and um, how might we change that?
1: Yeah, Okay. So, you know, think about it this way. You know, if somebody in need knocks on your door, um, most people think that, yeah, look, we have a duty to sort of try to help them. You know, we can't sort of let them die on our doorstep, at least if it's not too costly for us. But we don't sort of have a duty to sort of make them part of our family and continue to service their needs indefinitely. So if we do take seriously the idea that all current citizens actually have a right to determine our future, you know, why is it that they have all these obligations to sort of accept people rather than simply temporarily looking after them while some other solution can be found?
4: I think it's because it's, it is much more costly for you to take someone as a family member. I mean, you will have to associate with them in a very intimate way, whereas when it comes to migrants, there are costs, of course, because we want to make sure that uh, refugees and migrants arrive and they they are given the minimal conditions to lead, for living good lives, so it's not like they should just be left to fend for themselves, but the costs are not so significant so long as the numbers are reasonable. Uh, we're not asking people to be friends and you know, <laughs> uh, uh, take people in their houses. We're just asking uh, citizens to bear some costs, some reasonable costs, so, so as to make it the case that some people who can't lead minimally decent lives in their own country of citizenship are now in a position to do so.
1: Dialogues is an Ethics Matters podcast. It was produced by Snodger Media and funded by a University of Melbourne engagement grant and the School of Philosophy at the ANU.